2: And
3: we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III.
0: I'm Louis Fortell, and on Zoom today, I am wearing, for some reason, a white sweatshirt I bought at some bar event. It has MGM on it, but the lighting here is also bright white, so I look like I'm in some, I'm trying out for some low-budget Emily
3: Dickinson movie or something. You always look like Casper.
0: Okay, but today it's looking like literary Casper. So I look like I'm, I'm writing poems to myself that I'm shoving in a cabinet.
3: <laughs> All right. Um, Emily Dickinson today. That's you. That's you. Yeah. You know what? I th- but not,
0: not not an Emily Dickinson that gets on Hulu. Is that what network that's on?
3: No, it's on Apple, baby.
0: I truly am not good at get, getting those organized.
3: <laughs> um, Dickinson's cute. It's it's Haley Steinfeld. I've seen season one.
0: She's a fucking great actress.
3: Yeah, yeah. I saw season one also. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you know it's it's, it's just trippy. I here's the thing. I'm not I'm not really watching anything on Apple. Unfortunately, can I tell you something? Unfortunately,
0: I, I I've because I don't know if this is just because of the sheer amount of television there is. So many shows. I just need one season of. Like I will watch <sighs> Girls Five Eva, but it's sort of like. I got what I wanted out of the show already, so I don't need to continue with it. This is a mental block I have with a lot of television right now. You know, you get the initial log line, which you can tell why it's sold and it's very good, and then you watch the show and then we're done. You know, I guess this is why we have the advent of the limited series.
3: Is that because you think that these shows are too um, half serialized? Like, they're, they're not, they're, they're not, they're not like if Girls Five 5 was just sitcom each week like it was the same thing like a Frasier you know like I feel like we have I feel like we have a dearth of those shows on TV
0: yeah but and of course then we'll just get those rebooted too so there's too much of everything
3: okay uh no I mean I, I think I've said this before I miss I miss the era of you just tune in you laugh I feel like that's why people like Abbott Elementary it's you know, yeah. it's you it's know, lightly serialized. You don't have to keep up with the narrative. Yeah, yeah. uh huh. And yeah. you can you can sort of just pop in whatever, you know. Uh, and and I think I think we need literally more sitcoms. It's what I missed.
0: I, I I just want someone to say Bazinga at me, and then I go to sleep from seven thirty p.m. to seven thirty a.m.
3: Yeah, you know, we just need Neil Patrick Harris um, pretending to be straight, making misogynistic jokes.
0: Can I say something about Neil Patrick Harris? I root for his actually evil turn where he hosts like an Ellen's Game of Games type thing. <laughs> and, and it's like, because I feel like he's one of these people who gays in particular are like, all right, we, we've had enough of you or whatever. And I would like him to revolt against that and just become like like the a nightmare gay in pop culture. Well,
3: so you know I was a writer and producer on Neil Patrick Harris's upcoming show, Uncoupled, which right. is Darren Starr's new show. This is his first time playing gay and staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you're if you're if oh, you're in yeah. if you're a multi hyphenate A, a multi hyphenate okay? If you're if yeah. you're in an age show that virus is like ghost face, all right? Okay. <laughs> you get a phone call and it's like <laughs>
0: What's your favorite scary movie? longtime companion?
3: companion. <laughs> uh, the Normal Heart. Absolutely terrifying. Um, yeah. <laughs> Julia, Julia Slade in that yeah, movie. So it's not his first time playing gay, but, you know, he's playing gay in a romantic um, comedy <clears throat> sitcom, you know, and I think people will be interested in how good he is in it. Um and just sort of how oh, like good. it's something new for him. He's he also, by the way, very good in Into the Woods, which I saw this weekend at New oh, York City Encore. Right. Of course he's in it. Um yeah. it was only a two week run which um, I feel like people always forget about New York City Center Encores because it's always just sort of like a two-week run of, um, you know, a revival of sort of like a show that we haven't seen, you know, in years or something. Like um, Billy Porter directed um, a revival of The Life, um, which felt like the death. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um,
0: into the... I love when you become somebody (laughs) who wrote for Variety in 1947. (laughs) Anyway
3: baby the 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 show the show the show should have stayed dead let's just say that okay, okay. there we go um the box office was not Bob, Yeah. <laughs> the life i saw no signs of it i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna stop beating this show to death
0: <laughs> uh i wish you would beat it to life yeah so on today's show We're going to interview, for the hell of it, another fucking legend. Sometimes when these people pop into the Zoom, Ira and I basically exchange a look, which you can't really do over Zoom. But (laughs) Sissy Spacek showed up, and it was like, what is happening? Sissy Spacek is here. Oscar winner, uh, legend, uh, coal miner's daughter. I mean, there's plenty of things we can say about Sissy Spacek, and we get into those today. We also, for the hell of it, investigate a couple of Sissy Spacek blind spots we have. I watched The Straight Story, and...
3: Three Women. What did you watch, Ira? I watched um, Badlands. and Oh, great. um, Wildly enough, I watched In the Bedroom for the first time.
0: Oh, I'm sure you lived. Yeah, I did. There are some moments in that. I did. Uh, And of course, we get into In the Bedroom with Sissies, too. If you've not seen Todd Field's 2001 masterpiece recently, uh, you will be doing that after this podcast. And then also, we're going to get into Eurovision because... Um, you know, gay people be talking.
3: And singing?
0: <laughs> and singing. You said that like Michigan
3: joke. <laughs> uh, Coming up next, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Courtney Cox. <laughs> <laughs> but first, a jig. Yes. All right. We'll be back with more Keep It. <music> On Saturday... The Eurovision Song Contest 2022 held its final performances in Italy, and the winner was Ukraine with the song it Stefania was. performed by Parappa the Rapper. <laughs> Did did you know that it's the first song ever with,
0: quote-unquote, hip-hop elements to win Eurovision? Which sounds like when you hear, oh, there's finally a a female
3: Latin cast member on SNL. Like, how is that possible? Um, Hip-hop elements. uh, I'm using air quotes uh, because this truly was like... um, Cypress Hill esque 90s white men rapping um element.
0: I was gonna say that is that is actually generous. I was gonna
3: say snow informer. It was giving a licky boom boom down. <laughs> uh, the UK, Spain, Sweden, and Serbia rounded out the top five. And um let's just get this out of the way. Spain sure was robbed and i have had it okay that that girl was on chanel,
0: her uh chanel i yeah.
3: have had it with um pussy popping gay anthems getting to the top 3 on eurovision and not winning
0: i feel the same way about eurovision that most people allegedly feel about the oscars which is the thing i love never wins like i'm watching it and i'm like oh we all we all love this you know gay ass pop music right and then gay comes in fourth yeah you know I get upset
3: uh, and then, it, you, then then then, it's this weird reminder that like straight Europeans love Eurovision too which is sick yeah and so they're not voting, they haven't they're not voting for the best um, Chanel um, f- I mean this is we should say about this Chanel woman so S- Spain's entry
0: is this woman who is mostly an actress in Spain mm. and she uh, of course like maybe most Spain entries in Eurovision is dressed in like a spangled leotard with like a light matador touch in the coat. You can picture it. <laughs> and the song itself is giving uh Pussycat dolls. Yeah. It reminds me of uh it, it's like if they had a follow-up single to React, which of course they didn't.
3: Yeah. Um COVID sort of killed the Pussycat dolls, didn't it? Like they right. they, they they like Oliver and Company. They're out in the streets. <laughs> yeah. Curiosity did not kill the <laughs> pussycat dolls. It was COVID.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, I'm actually friends um with this Canadian pop singer Maggie Zabo who wrote the song for Chanel. Oh and um it is it is an anthem and it reminds me of you know the last um Eurovision contest, a lady Farou for Cyprus, um, who had that song Fuego. If you remember that song, yes, great song. Like, uh, like mm-hmm. the gays keep getting songs to be obsessed with, and yet we're denied.
0: "Toy" by Neta—that was one that won. That was for us. There, there are occasions, you know, and of course, "Waterloo" by ABBA is the definitive Eurovision winner.
3: "Toy" is a very good gay pop song, but also "Toy" beat "Fuego," so. Mm. You know, they can't all I'd always. rather have the pussy popper than um, you know, the the song with the um message behind it, which is I'm not your toy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not your toy, oy, which, you know. <laughs> we learned about that in grade school.
0: And I would <laughs> rather have both of those than a pussy Parappa, which we just explained earlier.
3: Uh cool.
0: Parappa the rapper, what an amazing reference from PlayStation 1. <laughs> Waterloo. The lyric in it, the the finally facing my Waterloo, as in just the the idea of, uh, oh, this person I'm obsessed with is my Waterloo. It's such a sweet sentiment. It's such an all-time great um, analogy. Uh, So I think it's a good definitive winner for Eurovision to have. Sweden this year, speaking of which, uh, the girl who performed, she got in the top five or so. And her song was fine and catchy. She herself was so styled exactly Swedish and yet also was a hybrid of Julianne Hough and Kaylee Cuoco that she was exactly unmemorable.
3: Mm. It, uh, it is okay. worth mentioning that the Sam Ryder from the UK actually topped the jury's scoreboard um, but was overtaken by the Ukraine when the public votes were added, which this was kind of expected. To be honest, I thought Ukraine right. was going to win Eurovision anyway. Because, I mean, they're being invaded <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> by Russia. Uh, and of course- Also, it's
0: not that the song is unlistenably, yeah. like, uncatchy or anything. There are good pop music elements to it. But I thought it was a very competitive year otherwise. You know, like, the the, the top five all stand out in certain ways. Even, like, Serbia I enjoyed. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's just, it's, it's interesting If if we're talking about the best of the best, it's weird that it ended up at number one. Yeah,
3: I mean, not to be crass, but it's giving sympathy and payola. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Payola, my favorite word. Um, It's also this also was the year where they've decided that I guess they're going to start overhauling the jury vote situation next year because there were a bunch of votes that were um, off screen. Uh, what, what always happens is that when, when the announcements come in and there are, um, you know, the 40 countries that are competing, there's always, um, you know, a representative from that country who gets on the screen um, to say um, how many points they're awarding. Like, who's going to get their 12 points, right? Like, Courtney Act um, represented Australia. Uh, and it's, it's usually right. just a parade of um, people in weird outfits, and fun accents. Right. taking too long to say hello <laughs> yeah. before they get to the um points. that by the way, I am obsessed. Uh, and and I know this is probably just like um like an American joke about how like Europeans speak, um, but I am obsessed with how, especially the announcers, like they always sort of like say a weird statement that's almost sort of a joke, but isn't really, and then they followed up with, okay wow uh, you know or it's like a okay <laughs> right
2: no
0: <laughs> they almost have a quip and then there's a long pause and then they get to the rigmarole of the points which always takes too fucking long all it's, right again they're right, getting 40 we? questions yeah. and just a tally so yeah. it's,
3: all right let's uh, get to the points it's like all right we could we could have done that first. <laughs> um but um from the country of Mario Kart here is, yeah. Uh there are several who weren't on the screen. Um because I guess there was a scandal about countries promising to vote for one another uh in an effort to I don't know, like keep another country from winning, which I feel like happens every fucking year because It's Eurovision. Countries are competing against one another, and I wouldn't think that alliances between countries would vanish in the midst of a song contest.
0: No, even though I guess, you know, spiritually that's what's supposed to happen. Like, let's just get together and love pop music and pick the best, but absolutely not. That's not what happens. Like, Greece and Cyprus are always voting for each other and stuff. Yeah. I just want to say also that always somebody on Twitter will be like, What's Eurovision? Some gay guy will do that. It's, it, you can't play dumb about Eurovision anymore. We have a whole Will Ferrell movie about it. So stop pretending you haven't heard of it. Which? It's a big, stupid, expensive X Factor finale, and we invite Croatia. Okay? That's what it is. <laughs> uh,
3: and we tried to replicate it this year with the American Song Contest, which I did not watch. Oh,
0: my God. Well, that makes you anybody. <laughs>
3: but Michael Bolton was in it? macy gray was in it yeah um so con- congrats to everyone tried. a k-pop song won. <laughs> oh, okay cute and, good and job that's as much as i know about it kelly clarkson hosted it and listen i i support her um but i largely do not know what she does with her day um if you ask me what happens on the kelly clarkson show i'm like i don't know she probably sang a cover of a pop song from three years ago uh and then talked to somebody
0: That's exactly right. Um, No, because I'm friends with Matt Rogers, these clips are funneled to me (laughs) as if I'm in a subscription
2: service. And I'm not.
0: Just yesterday, I watched Kelly Clarkson perform with Ann Wilson, of Hearts Ann Wilson, and they sounded great, wonderful. They always do an abridged version of the song, which upsets me. Mm. But um, Kelly Clarkson hosting the show, I'm always obsessed with somebody having a hit thing they do. And then for one year, they're also stuck doing this other thing that's not a hit. For a while, Ryan Seacrest hosted this game show called Million Second Quiz, where people played trivia all night. You could watch it all 24 hours a day. And he would host the primetime hour of it. You know, meanwhile, he's hosting American Idol 2 or whatever. And it's just girl, what are you doing? And you're on with Regis and Kelly. I don't know if he was on with Regis and Kelly then. Uh, or with Kelly Ripa then. But it's just so funny to watch somebody who's successful do something uh contractually that is not
3: successful. Speaking of Eurovision, um America's Eurovision was this weekend, the Billboard Awards.
2: <laughs>
3: My favorite award
0: show because it's not about votes, it's about sales. Well, have you seen the charts recently? We're just going to we're going to put that we're going to put an award in front of that. <laughs>
3: It's the good job awards. There's always like a controversy with like uh, people being like, oh, I wish this person would win. And people being like, uh, well, you know, it's because of sales.
0: Yeah, <laughs> They literally can tell them beforehand who won. Yeah. Just based on what's on. OK, the
3: you know who's not winning? Lord.
0: <laughs> Doja Cat's winning everything. Right. Yeah. Um, by the way, can I just say about Lord that clip of her going viral, where like someone put together a smash, uh, I was a supercut, lol, of. Her shushing the audience as she sings either a cappella or sings something in a concert, and they're trying to sing along, so she's shushing them. Why don't more people in concert do that? I assume when people are singing all the words at you, you can't hear what you're singing. I'm surprised to see she's the only person to do that.
3: I mean, Donna Summer said, shut up, faggot. said everyone called her homophobic for decades. So maybe that's why people stopped doing it, Louis. <laughs> oh, okay. um, um, people really
0: misinterpreted that as homophobic it was
3: supportive <laughs> you know. she was like Shh, i can't hear the lyrics to bad girls okay <laughs> <laughs> i can't hear god my one true ally yes um Actually, I would say that, like, I seen Rina Sawayama in concert, like, a couple times, and um she does a funny bit um, where she's like, are you ready to slay, like, at the beginning of the concert? Uh, and then, like, the audience is like, yeah. And then she goes, shh, shh, shut the fuck up, and goes into her song, Shut the Fuck Up. <laughs> oh, that's
0: cool. Yeah. All right. No, Madonna used to be hostile with her audiences, yeah, too. Yeah, I know. Uh, she didn't
3: turn the AC on. Um, oh, that showing so up three hours torture. late. Over the years, it became torture. Yes, yeah. That bitch is later. She was like, "You can't eat. You can't know where your friends are." Uh, yeah. That, that bitch is later than me to a lunch date for her own concert. Right. Okay, you're just sitting there, and it was even it was even worse when she started locking up our phones like she did for the Madame X tour. You're like, I don't even know what right. time it is. Is it four a.m.? <laughs> am I still waiting for Madonna? The Billboard Awards are only uh, memorable. Truly forgot that they were happening. Um, right. They're only, I feel like, being talked about now because um, Megan Thee Stallion was stalked by Cara Delevingne. What happened? Have you seen
0: the oh, clips? Oh, that's right. I saw- but- First of all, Cara Delevingne. I understand this is what <laughs> makes her a model. The resting look on her face really is demon. I
3: mean she's like a demon. <laughs> I think Carrie O'Donnell tweeted that um Carrie Jellovee needs an exorcism. Yeah, I mean I think that's just journalistically accurate. Uh, she it is it is wild to me that this uh, woman has um had so many wild moments in like pop culture uh and and still just sort of like does she still model?
0: Right, or act. She was in that one movie. She was in Suicide Paper Squad, Tons.
3: which was uh um, Suicide Squad. One of the uh which is the worst acting I've ever seen in mm. my life. Um and she was she was in a um let's see, she was in a relationship with Ashley Benson, um, the pretty little liar. Um slash also she yes. used to play Abby Devereaux on Days of Our Lives. Um, which is why I love Ashley Benson so fondly. Um, but they were like engaged at one point, and I remember during COVID, they were, um, they were caught bringing like a um sex swing, uh, like a sex bench into their house. Um, naughty, okay, you know, naughty lesbians. Um, but um, I instinctively root for any woman
0: who brings me Christina Ricci eyes. uh because she was so formative to me. And I believe in that, you know, resting angst, mm-hmm. which is important in actresses. I feel like we haven't had as much of that recently. Yeah. But the 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 thing that went viral, which is her standing around a corner peering at Megan the Stallion and then later sitting behind her sitting next during to her so she's
3: peering around the corner like on the red carpet at Megan and then she comes and like grabs the train of her dress and is throwing it up in the air I guess so the photos look better it also wasn't clear whether or not she came with Megan as her plus one yeah wh- wh- which that's an interesting which duo. I think maybe she did and then she was like oh no this bitch is crazy because the the, the wildest <laughs> part of the video is uh, when they're sitting next to each other um, and like Megan's having a conversation with Doja Cat who's sitting in front of her. And then Kara pops into frame and right. you could hear Doja Cat say like her, that woman's full government name. She's like, oh, my God. Hi, Kara Delavine which is how <laughs> you address someone <laughs> when you are absolutely terrified by their presence. Yeah it's a fearful reaction yeah uh
0: and of course kara is darting her neck out in that like uh you know uh, 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 attentive alley
3: cat way. and she um there's also video of her like crawling on the floor taking like um angled photos of doja and the people that she's with i'm just like this woman was slithering all over the billboard music awards and it reminded me of um last halloween um in new york when i went to um this party thrown by the misshapes um at the box um it was um azealia banks was one of the hosts of it and she performed on stage um and cara delavine appeared on stage wasted taking like a mic like trying to sing along the two one two didn't know the words and then started like Lick a song that is very yes. and, then <laughs> and then Started <laughs> licking like Azalea's boots That's too bad Uh Azalea Banks doesn't deserve that. that She is the poet laureate Of our generation
0: Right Yes uh, And uh, one of the few, I would say, intimidating celebrities.
3: I love her. They're just
0: certain people. Like Megan Megan Fox, I'm afraid.
3: I, I yeah. mean I love how she's I mean, I love how she sends just like white gays into a tizzy. Whenever you try to have an argument with like a certain yeah. type of white gay about her, it's always um she called us the KKK. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but she called you the she said the LGBT community in parentheses, GGGG. Are like the gay white KKKs. Get them some pink hoods and unicorns and let them rally down Rodeo Drive. How can you not (laughs) cackle at that?
0: Also, I can (laughs) just picture it. I mean, it's it's a vivid image. To be
3: insulted by Azalea Banks is a gift. To be like in the list of like um, beefs that uh, Azalea Banks has is truly a gift. Uh, And I'm honestly, you know, kind of sad that like um, the. The reason that she blocked me on Instagram um, isn't public knowledge. We talked about her on the Uh, show once, and she DM'd me and was like, "Um, "Aren't you that faggot who was talking talking about me on your podcast?" uh, In parentheses, the brokest form of media, which is funny. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes,
0: (laughs) well, I mean, it's not the richest form. Uh, Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you you do have to root for honestly any celebrity who is extemporaneously super funny and not copying anyone. It's not contrived. Like like her sense of humor is very ingrained in her. And even though it's extremely rowdy, that's also what makes it interesting. I don't know. It's just like, she has a real point of view is what I'm saying. So you can't not root for that. I guess she, I mean, is of course a bit messy. And of course I think still has zero albums, but I, uh,
3: root for her. I root for her. I don't care if you call me a nobody, Azalea Banks. I am a nobody on the broken form, right. <laughs> form of media unblock <laughs> me
2: the form of media unblock me
3: all right uh when we're back we are joined by the legend sissy space set <laughs> You will know her for many things, from her iconic role as Carrie to her Oscar-winning role in The Coal Miner's Daughter, and you can see her next in the Amazon original series Night Sky. We're absolutely thrilled to welcome to Keep It, the legendary Sissy Spacek. In this, and I feel like in so many of your works, you're portraying, you know, a marriage going through something, you know, there's this, um, there's in the bedroom, uh, this um, Missing, which I guess you weren't married. But um, how have you been able to, I guess, make each relationship that you portray on screen feel different and fresh, especially considering um, I know you met your husband um, while making Badlands and you've been together ever since. So I feel like... Um, that must also come into play when you're, you know, um portraying a character.
4: Yes, and that that's kind of was my prototype, my relationship with Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the you go through so much together in all that time that you're you know, it's a really deep and abiding love, but you also want to pinch the heads off sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> you to understand
0: I still love somebody and want to strangle them <laughs> <laughs> when I think about many of your rules, it's not just that they're like incredible to watch and that they've stood up over the test of time. I would really call a lot of these performances risky. Like when I watch Carrie, it's like I don't know that I saw. Like I can't compare it to a performance that came before it, for example. So I felt like if I if like if I were cast in that role, I would think, I basically have to invent something new for the screen in order for this to work. Do you do you consider a lot of what you've done to be risk-taking in any way? And do you have any particular favorite well, risks you've taken?
4: Carrie was certainly a risk. I was very young then, and I would send my scripts to my parents and just to let them read and see what I was doing, and they were. They were a little stunned, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but th- they didn't want to interfere <laughs> and who knew, I mean, it makes you work really hard because you think I, I, we all thought working on Carrie, that it would either work or it would be the end of us. And that's, there's some fear can be very motivating.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh,
3: But I,
4: I-, I love that. I, I learned a lot, uh, you know, because my husband Jack Fisk, who I met on Badlands, was also the production designer on, on Carrie, and I got into his research and um, and studied the Doré etchings of the Bible, and so, I, you know, came uh, kind of copied all of those facial expressions and uh, melodramatic facial expressions of lions eating people, and <laughs> so. Uh, you know, it was fun. It's fun to do things that are a little bit bigger than bigger than life. Of course, I don't know if if this is like that, uh, if Night Sky is, is, at the core of Night Sky is that relationship. And that. so that's where we started from. And then we just hoped that the other would unfold mm-hmm. and we'd know it.
3: Well, I mean, speaking of working with, Jack on, um, Carrie, I mean, I know you worked just brief you've mentioned that you worked briefly with him on um, Phantom of the Paradise, which was um, De Palma as well. Just from that experience and knowing De Palma like on set, um, how did you, f- did you have any, were you happy to be going into Carrie? Were you sort of like, oh, that movie, I guess it wasn't as well received as Carrie was as well. Did you have any trepidation about doing this role or were you just very excited to be taking on? On, like the Stephen King novel.
4: Well, because I worked on Phantom of the Ter- Paradise, I worked as a set decorator. Mm-hmm. And I may have been, I, my heart was in the right place, but I was like, oh my God, this is hard. <laughs> I was not a set decorator. And um, Brian, but he thought of me as a really bad set decorator. <laughs> and so it wasn't really Carrie. And uh, I got a commercial that for that same day of the tests, the uh, film tests, and I called him and said, "Brian, what should I do? I got a, I got this commercial, and but I want to try out for the film." He said, "Do the commercial." <laughs> <laughs> I think like a few expletives, <laughs> and that really motivated me. Mm. I read the book the night. Again, the night before the tests, and, you know, that was an interesting experience. But, yeah, he held that against me. He didn't think of me as an actor. He thought of me as the world's worst set operator.
0: It it just so happens, looking back, like literally reading through these Wikipedias, that you and basically like five or six other actresses who have since become like the definitive movie actresses of our time are born within the same couple years of each other. It's like you and Sally Field and Jessica Lange and I think Meryl's in there, Sigourney Weaver, Glenn Close. And I was wondering, did you throughout your career feel a particular sense of camaraderie with these people, even though routinely you were nominated against them for Oscars, et cetera.
4: Very much. So very much. So camaraderie because they're, you know, now they're, they're actors everywhere. <laughs> um, and, and, and it wasn't such a large industry then. And I, I didn't, I don't think, we felt because uh, we were all so different. We didn't feel a, a competitiveness, and uh, I think you know when you either own a role or you don't, and if you don't own it, then it you know it will belong to it. It will find its. It's like water finding its way down the creek, um, and I have a, and we were all very. Good friends, I I played softball with Sally Field back in the day, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in Los Angeles and um, yeah. So I love being listen uh, put in that group of of artists, I really do. Thank you.
0: Oh, my God. Of course. Imagine if you imagine not putting you in that group. Come on.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, as a side note, Sissy, uh, I wanted to tell you that I'm friends with Ronan Farrell. And when I mentioned that I was doing this interview, uh, he brought up that you are one of Mia's favorite actresses to watch on screen. Like she absolutely adores watching you in anything and has for years. Oh,
4: my God. And she's one of my favorites.
0: I was going to say, you, you both actually have a kind of comparable thing where, like, you appear on screen, and then I feel like some sort of transformation generally happens where you kind of get to shock us with power at some point.
4: That's That sounds good.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, I like to watch that, so.
4: She's she's really, uh, she's really wonderful, wonderful actress. She's not working enough now, but it's, it's hard. There are just not as many roles when you're not an ingenue. <laughs> are you
0: somebody who ends up seeing like all the new movies coming out? Are you somebody who likes to keep up on everything? Or do you kind of dial in and out of Hollywood from time to time? Since I know you rather purposefully went away, went away, don't live in Hollywood most of the time.
4: Right. I, 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 I dial in and out mostly out at this point. I have grandchildren (laughs) now preoccupied, but that's why I was so excited about night sky because of the, the relationship And it's so rare to have a whole series to develop the characters and develop a relationship with someone that you've supposedly been married to for 50 years. But you've known each other for 10 minutes when you shoot your first scene. It's very bizarre, but (coughs) wonderful.
3: Well, have you found um, at this point in your career that it is um, more... um, just sort of exciting for you to do something like a night sky, like a bloodline, you know, like a homecoming, like a television series where it feels like you're doing a lot of character work in multiple episodes. And then it, it's sort of done as well. And it's less, um, I guess a big thing, like a film.
4: Uh, you know, that's, I, I, it's, it reminds me of the '70s in film. It was, mm. you know, low-budget films. The director ruled. It was, you know, the art of it, um, and it, it was really magic time in in filmmaking. And I think this is a really wonderful time for for television, especially for older actors. You know, because now films mm-hmm. have to be. Judged. Giant event. They need to be to get people out of their their bedrooms and their living rooms. <laughs> the worst part about television is streaming television is that you'll work. You give every episode just all of your blood. You just you just give it everything you've got, and then you like like oh my god. You finished it. You're so excited about certain scenes, but you never get to like talk to anybody about it because then you get the new script and you you carry on. Uh, so it's grueling mm-hmm. physically, um, but other than that, it's it's wonderful. It's it's wonderful that it's come at this time in my career because I've found so many really interesting roles.
0: Speaking of that, um, there's this uh, video by this uh, woman who goes by the name Be Kind Rewind, and she goes through uh, biopic acting in movies, and specifically coal miner's daughter. But she talks about how in your career, and I think this applies to your new TV show too, you have found projects that split the difference between mainstream and altruistic. You know, where like you get to you get to really. convey like a director's strong and strange and different point of view but it happens to a a big audience gets to enjoy it when you're picking a script do you look for both of those things like a strong kind of who's the director who's going to be doing this how strange will it be and yet accessible in a certain way
4: well you know in in television in film yes because it's all about the director, but in in television, it's really about the writers and the creators of the show. They're 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 your fearless leaders. They're they're the ones who go from uh, they're there. They know everything, uh, and you have new directors come in. That that can be a little unnerving because you're having to you have two weeks to do an hour episode and you've got to work out all the kinks and you've got to develop a relationship with a new director. And it's, it can also be wonderful because it, it can, it can kind of shake things up a little bit, but you don't want it to shake things up so much that it throws you off your, your track. Um, it, It, I really love it because you get to know people so well. You know, in a film, it's like six weeks, if you're lucky, unless it's a big, mm-hmm. huge film, like my husband does, all the big ones. Um, <laughs> and you have, and particularly with people with masks on, you know, the end of the show, people take their masks off. They go, hi. It's like, who are you?
2: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
4: oh, hi. you just kind of have to roll with it you and uh you know I'm I'm just I'm grateful to still be working and working with interesting actors and interesting filmmakers and uh and in different genres I I had that experience with um with Carrie you know I thought oh my god this is going to be the end of me and it wasn't and it's it's still around here like a hundred years later. There's always, they're always tormented teenagers.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: but I think it's made me the success of that made me a little braver to do mm. things. I like think that. that's kind of, you know, that's going to be a reach. I don't know the sci-fi. How do I relate to that? How do I, how do I, uh, you know, what in my life can prepare me for that? Oh, I'm a human being. <laughs> I'm just an ordinary human being who finds this thing in our backyard. And so I don't have to do anything. I just have to experience it. So I don't know. I don't know. What was your question?
3: No, that I thought that <laughs> I explained it well enough. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Uh. Lewis brought up Coal Miner's Daughter, and I just recently saw this interview with GQ you did where you were revisiting your iconic roles, and you talked about how that role really sort of stuck with you because you liked doing the accent, you had the band around, you really sort of loved being Loretta Lynn, and it was sad when it was over, and you couldn't go back to being her. Were there any other roles in your career where you felt like once you were done with the movie, you were like, damn, I still want to be her? Or like you they well, really mainly, stuck with you after you were done filming.
4: Yeah, that was the hard one to let go of. But mm-hmm. um I didn't want to be that person that was like hanging on <laughs> <laughs> after that. <laughs> I've seen footage of me uh in in interviews and stuff after Coal Miner's daughter and I that accent I I it was really hard to shake. <laughs> you know, it was hard to get rid of, let go of. There were different. I didn't have that same experience on any other film that I can think of, but I, but I had. You know, I was changed by different films. In the Bedroom was one that really affected me deeply, and uh, you know, they're they're like your children. You you love them. All and uh, but they're different. I loved working with David. Lynch.
0: Oh, I love the strange mm. story. I wish people talked about that movie. It's such an unusual movie for him too.
4: Yes, such an un... I said, David, do I have to cut my hair here? I can wear a wig. And he was like, No, sis, you gotta cut your hair. <laughs> so I, <was> like, yeah. <laughs> I had these great teeth. Oh my goodness. That Uh, was really, that was really fun.
0: I'm happy you brought up In the Bedroom because among my friends, that's a movie where like the power still sticks with us. Like your, uh, your iconic scene, which I believe is part of your Oscars clip too. Just like, I don't even, I mean like we, we see tons of fights with people on screen, but there's something about that movie where it just nailed it. Like you're really in that family's dynamic. And I don't know, can you talk about filming that movie and like Todd Field, that was his first movie. Like how did this all come together and be so amazing?
4: So brilliant, you know that. I think that movie cost a million dollars, and really? I remember one of the first days we were in a uh, we were our dressing rooms were in a motel motel rooms, and I remember like getting dressed, and I was like, reached under the bed, whose socks are these? <laughs> it was that we were using the cruise? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was really like we're going to put on a show. But Todd is brilliant, and he was—he was just such a joy to work with. Oh my God, he was so and and um, the actor Tom Wilkinson. Oh, oh
0: Tom Wilkinson, God. of course, yes, yes, the great Tom <laughs> Wilkinson.
4: Unbelievable! He's a theater actor. He could have like twisted me up and broken me in half, and uh, he was so calm. And didn't we had that big fight scene where Todd had a to start in the kitchen? I'm throwing dishes and then we go through the whole house. And it was just so <sighs> right at the height of our explosive fight, the doorbell rang. Uh. And it was a Girl Scout selling candy. And of course he stopped. We stopped the fight, as you would do, go. Buy the candy. It just was. And Marissa Tomei. Oh, my God. She's An wonderful. And I had to slap her. Or I, no, I got to slap her. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, my God. I was slapping her with a backhand, which is just horrible. Just, you know, so dismissive. And I took my rings off. I didn't want to hurt her, but God, she was she's spectacular. And Tom, Tom Wilkinson, if you're listening to this, I forgot your name because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm ashamed. Of I mean, we all obviously, you know, like know so many of your iconic roles, uh, but I feel like people are always stopping you to talk about, you know, like, you know, Carrie or like, you know, film fans like Love in the Bedroom, Miner's Daughter. Are there roles of yours um, that you feel is there any particular film that you feel like you wish people were still talking about this film now um, because you had such a great time on it? You thought it was such an interesting film that maybe didn't get the attention it deserved when it came out.
4: Um, yeah, the Straight Story, maybe that was a mm-hmm. that kind of fell through the cracks. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, every film kind of finds its audience finds its place um Mm -hmm. you know uh working with Terrence Malick on Badlands was a really was like a real life changer for me because I realized that film could could be art and um he was so passionate about every frame and that there was like a fire inside of him. And that's where I met my husband, Jack Fisk, who was art director, production designer on Badlands. And I, we fell in love. And so it was this kind of wild, passionate love affair while we were making this film that was you know, about to change both our lives. And it, it really made me understand that it's really not about the actors it's about the director it's about the script it's about everybody everybody working on the on the show and and that was a great thing to learn so early in my career and I that's when I realized it's about the director and so mm-hmm. and that was that's really special time in Hollywood in the 70s where it felt like a smaller Film community, And maybe it was because it was just smaller films that, that studios didn't really care that much about. So they didn't keep an eye on us. And they, you know, if it failed, it wasn't a big loss because there wasn't much invested in it. Most of the films, those films were independent that I did then. And and the directors like Scorsese and, and De Palma and Spielberg and... We're all friends, and uh, so th- it was just a neat time. You know, it wasn't, there wasn't so much pressure. It was really just about about the work, and that was, you know, like, hey, we're going to put on a show, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. And the other thing is that nobody's really watching, so you have a freedom to try things and mess up and try things again. And it's when people start to notice you that you start to think, Oh my God, you know, how did I do that? I don't know how I did that. Can I do it again? I don't know. Maybe not. So it was really like, it's, you know, it's like uh, starting over every time you work on something. And I've, I've kind of brought that along with me, unfortunately. It's <laughs> like, okay, how do, how does this work now? But it works differently because you're working with different directors and they bring out different things in you. It's it's truly exciting. What was your question?
3: (laughs) No, you got it. You got it. Yeah. I mean, you've worked with truly some of the best directors and some some of my faves. You know, I mean, I'm a huge De Palma fan. I'm a huge Lynch fan. Um, Controversial as he is. I love an Oliver Stone movie. And you're fantastic in JFK.
4: Oh, thank you. Thank you. What a trip! That guy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I went to meet with him. my my agent. Said okay. Now, all of was a little different. So just be careful. He's gonna he's gonna try to throw you off right away. So just watch it. Watch out. So I went and I had a great meeting with him. And I I came back and my agent said, "Well, how did it go?" I went, it "Was great." He said. Well, did he try to pull the rug out from under you? Did he pull anything? And I said, no. He said, well, w- w- what happened? I said, well, he said, so what was the first thing he said to you? Hi, sissy, I hear you want to rewrite the script. And I said, no, <laughs> just my part. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. He was, he, 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 he I didn't know enough to be intimidated. And I think that was, you know, maybe maybe that was it. Well, I will but take I your, loved
0: I will take your word for it that the direct the directors are run the show on a movie. But when we have talents like you, it's really hard to believe you don't run the whole thing and that the, the all the light in the room doesn't just, <laughs> just bend towards you naturally. So thank you so much for being here today with us.
4: My pleasure. I enjoyed it so much.
0: And I love the show yeah. too. And I love you and J.K. together. What an awesome pairing we get. Yeah, <laughs> it's he's,
4: it's quite an individual. Oh yeah. <laughs> no matter what, what the team calls for, he's like he's in it to win it. He's cool, right? Love him. Yeah. And I'm so I glad. I love you that. <laughs> go, thank you.
0: Of course. Yeah.
3: I mean, it must be uh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. This point in your career, still getting to work with like exciting actors who you haven't worked with before, like J.K. Simmons. So. Uh, Congrats. It's a great show. Night Sky premieres on Amazon Prime Video on May 20th.
1: As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform. It's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop Chef Quality Pots and Pans at madeincookware.com.
3: To prepare for our lovely interview with the icon, uh, Sissy Spacek, we went back to watch some of her films and discovered some of our own blind spots in our filmography. Uh, I love when we do a blind spot segment because I always get to watch a movie that I've either randomly missed or something that I've always been meaning to watch. Uh, And my blind spot is so weird uh, because it's in the bedroom, which I would have thought I'd seen in 2001 when it came out, specifically because I was in high school then. And I feel like in the bedroom was... Definitely, maybe for our age group, maybe you had this similar um, sort of situation happening, Lewis. But I felt like the kids who were like into films at my high school, like this was uh-huh. a movie that they started talking about. Like there were certain films between two thousand two thousand four that, like you know, like the kids who were like not just like I'm going to the movies to see a movie. The kids who were like I like cinema. Would like start? Oh,
0: see, no, I did not know anybody like that. I had to invent that for myself. Oh, really? In two thousand one, I, I I went with all my friends to see things like Rat Race <laughs> or uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, or whatever was happening. I went year.
3: by myself, but then like you know the the art um, the art nerds that I was friends with like on the weekend like we would watch Pie.
0: Oh, but by the way, okay, this is a specific memory. Now I'm thinking of my girlfriend Elise, but. People our age would have DVD collections, you know, that were about 15 deep. And they all at least I'm I'm thinking of my friend, but this is something I would see over and over again. They they all had this like moody, dark whimsy about them. It was movies like Pi and Donnie Darko yes. and Requiem for a Dream Requiem for a and Dream Virgin Suicides was
3: yeah. constantly being watched by these fucking people. And I was like, by the fourth time someone was like, Let's put on Requiem for a Dream. I'm like, this movie makes me want to slit my wrists.
0: It is not a fun time. The- <coughs> uh, I, I, am not the same after watching what happens to Jennifer Connelly. In that. Um, yeah. It's it- anyway in the bedroom. As in the bedroom is, uh, is one of two movies directed by Todd Field. It's that and Little Children, which is a masterpiece. These are both quote unquote domestic movies that uh, take place in smaller towns. And sissy space gets a yeah. I would compare it to Esther Roll the smashing the uh, plates on the ground sort of uh, uh, version of cacophony. And it is it, it really is a fabulous drama.
3: It really is. And I would say that drama is the correct word for it. This is... This is like drama that feels a bit more realistic than you, you know, sort of like what I'm drawn to, like like a melodrama. It's not giving Sir, yeah, uh-huh. you know, it's not giving Todd Haynes. Um, this is um, it feels it feels more quaint. It feels more lived in, um, and even though you can sort of see that, like something you know something 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 bad is about to happen um it it has like the melodramatic turn you know of um Nick Stahl um getting shot in the head um by Marissa Tomei's I baby daddy but after that you know the, it doesn't go into sweeping melodrama you know it's still it, it um you just get sort of like the human element of this tragedy uh and I actually did not see that coming. I actually thought um, I actually was thinking maybe it was going to veer more towards like a melodrama. Uh, I thought if there were a melodrama, um, they would have killed the abusive baby daddy and maybe like I thought they were going to kill the abusive baby daddy and then like Sissy Spacek and Tom Wilkinson were going to help cover up a murder.
0: Uh, and I watched Nine to Five recently, so that's. <laughs> uh, they don't. They don't murder her in that, but anyway.
3: Uh, but this was, wow! It was really, really fucking good, and I'd seen uh, I'd seen Little Children before, um, so I'd seen um, Todd Field's work, um, and um, it was just really sort of um. A beautiful film i mean i I don't know i don't know what else to say about it besides the fact that it's just like well written well directed um they sissy and tom wilkinson are just sort of like uh, an amazing um duo in that film we were talking about that when we interviewed her you know sort of like how great she is Mm -hmm. with um the leading men that she's gotten to work with um over the years you know like a tom wilkinson and you know jk simmons on night sky and um i have enough class that i did not ask her about working with um christopher walken on the film blast from the past but i really wanted to
0: (laughs) oh my god a movie again a movie i've seen like 30 times and i can't explain why (laughs) um uh i watched the straight story which is a movie directed by David Lynch in the late nineties, that feels very out of step with a lot of what David Lynch does, which is it's never going for absurdity in any way. It's not even like the elephant man, which has a sort of Gothic feel to it. It, But it does tap into David Lynch's transcendental meditation brain. Mm -hmm. uh, And in fact goes, it's about a guy who takes a trip on his lawnmower through Iowa up to Wisconsin to see his dying brother And it's, it's really as simple as that. Richard Farnsworth, who, um, also great in a movie, a Jane Fonda movie called Comes a Horseman in the seventies. He is the star of this and Sissy Spacek plays his, um, daughter who she has, she has like a sort of speech impediment where she talks in a sort of hiccupy cadence and they say she's intellectually disabled, but they don't really get into it, um, Man, first of all, as somebody who went to the University of Iowa, no movie set in Iowa is more beautiful. And I'm looking at you, Field of Dreams. You're in second place. <laughs> uh, they they really sell you on the beauty of that state. And as they should, because I think people think of Iowa as just flat and you know drab looking when, no, 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 no. that's the rest of Illinois. Mm. Because Illinois has Chicago in it, we really give that whole state a pass. No, Illinois is not not I, cute. Iowa, gorgeous. I actually don't
3: think of Iowa.
0: Okay, well, get on it. Um, but, um, the music in it is so lovely it's 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 just one of those things where we made a really altruistic strange guy make a kind of conventional movie, and because he's so committed to his brand of. Um, artistry, it ends up being this transcendent film. It is so so good. It might be, it's not my favorite David Lynch movie, that would definitely be Mulholland Drive, but just excellent performance. It'd be weird if it was, but I mean I fucking
3: love David Lynch and um, Angelo um, Badalamenti did the score for this and they've worked together since Blue Velvet Um, and it's so weird to know you're watching a David Lynch film um, and to hear angelo's you know score startup you know which is evoking blue velvet it's evoking twin peaks and then come into this film and even the beginning of the film seems like okay you know like it's it's not uh you know there's not grotesque characters in it but the characters feel more more human um than sort of um you know, Hollywood fair, you know, like they, they seem like real people from the Midwest. So you're yes. like, Oh, you're going to get mm-hmm. some like Midwestern oddities and you get a bit of that, but you really don't veer into anything that you sort of really know david lynch for uh, and it's
0: no there's one character in this movie who he runs into while he's driving the lawnmower who this woman hits a deer and she gets out of the car she starts screaming this is the 14th deer i've hit in three weeks or something and it's meant to be i think a shocking a joltingly comic moment which does remind me of twin peaks a little bit but even that it seems like a real person her exasperation is real It you don't leave it thinking like oh that was you know bizarre camp in the way that you would feel about a Twin Peaks cameo. Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, it's... um, What's interesting about it is that it's actually, you know, like um, a biographical film. You know, it's based on... yeah, oh, it's yeah, a real. It's based yeah. on a real mm-hmm. story. And I think that maybe um, that's what makes it so different, you know, when Lynch's oeuvre. You know, it's just sort of um, him respecting the actual story and what happens, and not putting his own spin on it. Um right. I, I I really like to read more about um you know what he thinks of this film um now. I mean it was nominated for the Palme d'Or. You know. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. and it's also um the first positive review that Ebert ever gave a Lynch film. He gave it 4 out of 4 stars. Which is interesting. Listen. Uh, uh Ebert will like trash yeah. and be like, "You know what? Um had a good time." Uh three out of four stars, or he'll see a movie like a blue velvet or an a razor head and he'll be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do love I, I I was just missing Roger Ebert recently. Like if I'm watching a movie from, you know, 2012 or earlier, I tend to read his review again. And the the, the the zest of his writing, the unpretentiousness of his writing, but I do love his weird sticking points, like his whole thing about video games, how they could never be the the, the level of art that cinema is for certain strange criteria he put together. But um, good, I, I like a codgerliness hmm. about my film critics.
3: I think it was Disturbia, the movie that I saw in theaters with roger ebert I, I need to recall which one it was i need to look it up in our school paper but one time i reviewed a film for um loyal university um like school newspaper at um the screening i was sent to downtown was um one of the same screenings that ebert was at in the front oh my gosh i spent most of the movie looking at ebert
0: No, I I, I am sure he had no reaction whatsoever. He's so used, you can't shock him at a movie. No, one time I was at uh, Century City and uh, I passed Leonard Malton walking Mm, in. You're king. As you know, I I, I have a disease where I can recall the star ratings Leonard Malton gives most movies um, because I would get the book he put out every year. And I went up to him and I said, this sounds so crazy, but I have an incredible memory for these star ratings you've given movies over the years like if you said a movie i would know like i I know brave hearts three and a half i know you know i know you gave two and a half to forrest gump and let me tell you it's a two and a half star movie you were right to do that he responded with thank you and walked away like i was a gd goblin
3: which (laughs) i understand have you ever (laughs) interviewed molten
0: no i know his uh his daughter reached out to me one time she had heard that i had this Jones for his rating, and she told him. She she said he was delighted, but I know he's scared, and that's fine.
3: <laughs> this is your misery. Yes,
2: <laughs>
3: you hold them captive. You're like, I need to know what you think of these recent movies, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Code is a two and a half. Say it. Yeah. <laughs> um my other blind spot was badlands which was um terrence malick's directorial debut and yeah put him on the map you know yeah i mean it's it's wild that like your first feature film like puts you on the map you know uh but it's really a gorgeous film I mean, when you t- will you talk about how um, the straight story uh, made, like, Iowa look so gorgeous, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is about um, like Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek play um, a couple um, that go on the run after. He shoots her father, uh, and then they burn the house down and go on the run. Um, and he's sort of, like, um, in his 20s, and she's 15. Um, it they go, they go on the run across America, and it is so gorgeous you know it, it it reminded me you know a sort of like um like nomad land you know like it was just like it was like so mm, yeah. beautiful mm-hmm. and lush uh and seeing you know just sort of like what this uh, the american landscape looked like in 1973 um like you know like the swamp and the marshes and the woods that um he shoots in it's just it's so beautiful to watch and it really is sort of like a Meditation of a film, like it would be classified as a neo noir, but it's not really very um salacious. Yeah, it's not queen and slim for white people, you know. Uh, <laughs> which I'm always, I'm, I'm always needing. I'm like, can we get
0: the queen and slim for like white people? I want to say also about this story in the in the movie. It's about the the, the killer Charlie Starkweather, which his. He's probably more, most famously chronicled on the Bruce Springsteen album Nebraska, mm-hmm. which uh, there's a, there's a whole song about him, and, and like that album is about the, you know, the the grimness of being in Nebraska in the middle of the country, and you know being alone with your disturbing thoughts and things like that.
3: Baby, he put Springsteen was in his bag on Nebraska. Okay. Oh fuck yeah!
0: Oh no, he, no, he's like oh. You you think I'm just writing like uh, uh, big anthems for your for your uncle? Absolutely not. I'm I, I'm unfuckwittable, shall we say? It is a that album. That album is not a joke.
3: I love hearing you say unfuckwittable.
0: <laughs> you know you know I'm a Springsteen fan. Reason to believe on that album. Does it get darker? And I love Amy Mann's cover with her husband um, Michael Penn.
3: The I did. I don't know why I didn't place that this was um inspired by the stark weather um case but mm-hmm. i know the Starkweather weather case inspired uh natural born killers as well yes of course um mm-hmm. which is definitely a film <laughs> right i don't love natural born killers the way that i think that some people do it's like it's one of my lesser oh, oliver no. stone films and i do like oliver stone No.
0: Oh, as we discovered in our sissy interview, or you will discover in our sissy interview if you haven't listened to that part yet. Um, the other movie I watched was Three Women, which can I just say something about the films of Robert Altman? You basically have to be taught to seek this man out because, with the exception of Gosford Park, over the past twenty-five years, there's just uh, you—you—it's you, just somebody that like the Criterion Channel points you at. And you you need someone to say watch all these movies. This movie is so good, and I cannot believe we had a movie starring Sissy Spacek and Shelley Duvall. I mean, the the eye size in this movie is just unprecedented. I that we would put them both together. And as my friend said, I, I was telling uh, one of my girlfriends, "Can you believe that Sissy Spacek and?" Shelley Duvall arguably the definitive eyes of the 70s with if they added Karen Black it would have been perfect Uh, (laughs) and she goes wait she goes sissy's basic and Shelley Duvall were they nightgown salesmen?" come on that joke yes Uh, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say nothing else about that movie other than uh watch it sissy's
3: performance and her uh turn in it slay (laughs) you know I think that um I would also sort of classify Terrence Ballack as sort of one of those directors. I mean, I know he makes a lot more films. Yeah, oh, but, definitely. You know, di- yeah.
0: Days of Heaven, another movie that is gorgeous to look at from the seventies by Terrence. Yeah,
3: Ballack. they're they're both sort of directors from that era who you know you need like you need like the real film buffs, or the the Criterion Collection holders, to be talking about. And there are always people who are sort of like. Mentioned um when people, you know, want to only talk about like Scorsese. Um, you know, I'm talking about film Twitter, not actual film buffs. Um yeah. but Malik.
0: I wouldn't know film Twitter
3: hates parents, <laughs> so I don't see much We of know they hate both <laughs> of us. Um yeah. Terrence Malik and um Robert Altman are really like I feel like they are directors who you sort of have to be like, I'm gonna sit and watch this movie. You know, you sort of have to I agree with you, sort of to teach yourself to watch them I mean like I saw recently um a hidden Life by Malik uh which is you know about uh you know an Austrian farmer um, who refuses to fight for the Nazis in World War II. Uh, I watched it because um one of the actors in it is Franz Brugowski, um, who's just in this great gay film that I just watched um Great Freedom. I don't know if you've seen that. Mm. Uh, no, nope. uh, it that movie was about how it was like, illegal to be gay um, in like um, post um, Nazi Germany, and like people would be locked up for it. And it it spans him over decades, um, being locked up um, repeatedly, um, and sort of like developing relationships with different men in prison. Uh, it's beautiful, and I think um, he's regarded as like one of the um sort of best um. German actors, sort of ever. He's great. So watch A Hidden Life if you haven't seen it. But um, Altman and Malik are definitely um, people with a lot of blind spots. I have, I actually haven't seen three women.
0: Oh my God. I mean, I mean also just like Shelley Duvall, just as a beguiling, one of a kind presence obviously people know her most from the shining but she's in a, a ton of altman movies
3: she's of course in popeye was this before or after the shining before the shining oh, before the shining. So, uh, so before she was um emotionally wrecked by stanley kubrick and, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I can we get the just the definitive account of how horrible he could be to actors i mean it, it couldn't have just been that movie you know we, we talked to um alan cumming quickly about the amount of time he put into filming eyes wide shut the 30 seconds he's in that movie and it sounded like he
3: lost two years of his life (laughs)
2: uh
3: we need a film like that um hitchcock film which was you know supposed to depict his relationship with janet lee uh just i would like to see kubrick who would play kubrick adam driver oh now you said it wait for (laughs) it he'd gain weight for the role definitely yeah, I true. feel like he has the like steely face, you know, and like the the wispy sort of hair. Uh,
0: the intensity, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> or um, Leo. No,
0: Adam, Adam Driver, you know, he's going to have two two Oscars. And
3: I'm going to say 15 years. OK, um, check back with me then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh I would say him or Leo.
0: Oh, well, I mean, if Leo wants to do it, then he'll who plays so.
3: Shelley Duvall?
0: Oh, now that we should be able to f- figure out Mia Goth. Done. Mm, okay, I I love it when I know. <laughs> it. There
2: we go. <laughs> uh,
3: and you know what? She's perfect for the role because you know she's expecting a child with Shia LaBeouf.
1: <laughs> so, so I think I yeah, think she's expectedly.
3: Haunted. I think she's been through her own shining right 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 she
0: she she's she's done some running through some hedge mazes if you will okay her
3: mind's in disturbia to bring up the movie i talked about earlier
0: can i say about disturbia quickly and then we'll move on i i actually first a movie that is just rear window it is i think entertaining enough and shia labeouf is really good in it does that bastard that they're that they're whose house they're looking into Does he not have fucking alligators in a pit or something over there? Come on. Obviously, you can't do that. (laughs) Um, What is it in here? It's like Devil in the White City. It's also like a discovery zone. Like, what is happening in this house? um,
3: First of all, Devil in the White City. um, I worked at Borders in Chicago um, when we were in college. Um, The chokehold that that book had on people. Everybody oh, yeah. was reading it, Devil in the White City. Uh, I can't believe an adaptation hasn't come out yet.
0: I think there was supposed to be one. I forget if it, it might have even been Leo that was attached initially. <sighs> of course. Can you believe it? Well, like psycho intense guy. Ta- mm. y- he signed up. Yeah. yeah,
3: I mean, it's just one of those books where I feel like even people who don't really read books that often, like everybody was fucking reading Devil in the White City, but... Um,
0: no, people would just show up to a Borders and Shrug and say, this is the book I'm supposed <laughs> to have.
3: Yeah. Uh, and as a, someone who worked there, you know, like you'd always get um, different variations of the title. White Devil oh, in the right. City. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the devil book. They're like...
0: Ba- babe babe white devil in the
3: yeah city. Yes. <laughs> my favorite white devil babe next week we'll talk about how babe was a white supremacist pig
0: <laughs> the sheep pig yeah guess, guess guess what guess what wool he was wearing okay
3: the it was a robe the great farming theory is what babe wants yeah. to teach you about <laughs> <laughs> uh, the but, farming by the way, uh the evil neighbor in Disturbia was David Morse, who uh Right.
0: Crazy role who for him. I
3: just saw on stage in How I Learned to Drive, he plays the um uncle um who sort of, you know, like molests um Mary Louise Parker in Paula Bogle's How I Learned to Drive.
0: By the way, I've decided about Mary Louise Parker that one, I will be seeing this production. Two, I, it, when she is in a play, I like follow her around the country fish style. Um, <laughs> I think she is that
3: one of a kind and worth it. She is. She. I mean, I feel like she's the... Um, she's a, she, it's, it's weird that her, she and Sam Rockwell are um, both on Broadway at the moment because I feel like they're very similar as actors. Like, at yeah. least to me in my heart. You know, they both have a weird quirk. Uh, and I would also follow them both to the ends of the earth, you know? And you know how many fucking movies I've watched where Sam Rockwell plays a white supremacist just because I love him? I watched that movie right. with Taraji no, and that commitment. wig. Oh my God, I forgot
0: all about that movie. <laughs> no. no, Mary Louise Parker is like the Yale of Sandy Dennis, mm. who is in a poster behind me. You know, they've got the tics, they've got the neurosis, but it's also soulful and also fucking real like you're you're there's just something about the way she expresses herself where you're getting a full person immediately and uh also of course it's a Pulitzer Prize winning play I should just see it well anyway.
3: they just extended it so you should go see it exactly yeah all right New York I'm coming so watch out <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm always obsessed with on Twitter when they're like uh, they they Somebody people be like, they make fun of gays who say, they aren't ready for us this summer. And then, oh, they're not ready for you in your shorts and a hot civic. Always so funny. Yeah.
3: Ty T is not ready for Lewis. <laughs> it
0: could, it's, it's specifically ready for me. Everybody looks like me.
3: Uh, all right. When we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, why don't you go first? Yes. Sorry, I'm being like
0: David Lynch, and I'm just meditating on mine for a moment. Uh, My Keep It pertains to Grindr, which I did a rant on Grindr on Kimmel last week. Maybe you saw it. Um, I sort of gave a PG-13 rundown of what happens on Grindr, you know, for people like my mom, who are perpetually, you know... Clutching at their collar, like the white guy in the baby got back video. Um, So I've decided to pick a classic grinder happening to critique for my keep it this week. My keep it is to people who message you and instead of saying hi or just being nice, they immediately criticize how you handle your body hair. The amount of people who are like, oh, that's too bad that you shaved that, or it's too bad that you didn't shave that. It's like, girl, I didn't realize I was fucking artwork for you to critique. It's such a strange, pernicious thing that I feel like all of my friends have experienced where people just decide you want to hear grooming tips from a complete stranger. Now, obviously, there's a lot of overstepping of bounds. In lots of directions. Lots of people on Grindr still post things like, whatever, no Asians, or just straight up blatantly racist things. So there's worse, worse things occurring on Grindr. But this as a particular nuisance is so strange to me. I wonder what it is about body hair that makes people think you want to hear the correct answer about how to handle it.
2: Hmm.
3: You know, I've always thought that you were a piece of art to critique, Lewis. I think of you as oh, my um, Venus de Mila.
0: Oh, as in, you want to rip my arms off?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I have a very hairy chest, so I've never experienced that.
0: I, 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 I feel like people are. There's always been this line of thought, like, "Oh, real men are hairy" or something. Meanwhile, they are. You get a fucking. Meanwhile, you get a fucking haircut, <laughs> don't you? So it what it does why would any other hair be different than the hair on your head?
3: Because Samson <laughs> oh, lost God. his power when he cut his hair, but his chest hair remained intact and gave him the power of being a man. I don't know where I was going with that.
0: No, you wrapped you wrapped into <laughs> evangelicalism in a way that made me think of someone like Ianla. <laughs>
3: Criticizing body hair? Not on my watch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what a great celebrity! I miss her.
3: uh where, where is she? You say that like she's in the gulag now. <laughs> I don't know where she is. I feel
0: like I haven't heard from her recently.
3: That's your keep it this week.
0: Yeah, that's it. Be nice to each other on Grinder. Also, everybody needs a picture of some kind. I don't care if it's not your face. The blank shit—that's got to go.
3: You know they are creepy. My biggest pet peeve is like, I will get a message from someone with a blank, like, no profile. And they're like, how's it going? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm good. And I'll always respond something with, like, stranger or, like, myster- yeah. mysterious person with no photo. And they'll, like, laugh it off and keep talking. Or they'll just go silo.
0: No. Um, nobody wants to get deeply unidentifiable text. You ever seen the movie Personal Shopper? It's bone chilling.
3: Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen Confessions of a Shopaholic? also bone chilling <laughs> yes i don't know <laughs> but but very grittily real yeah um but grinder is featured heavily in that movie i'm sure it's not so it could be have you ever seen it let's visit that blind have i seen it visit yes. That blind spot lewis
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i've seen confessions of a shop i
3: Isla fisher's greatest work ira what's your keep it my keep it this week, unfortunately, goes to my Vanilla King, Jack Harlow, and his new album, Come Home, The Kids Miss You.
0: The Vanilla King, period. I mean, who, who else is even competing with him at the moment?
3: Yeah, I feel like I always have a new one, though. You know, like, he, uh-huh. it, like it used to be Charlie Puth, Now it's Jack Harlow. Uh, well, if he's not going to put out that album, he's not our Vanilla well, King. So Well, and here's my thing. Jack Harlow shouldn't have put out his album. Oh, I see. Uh, maybe, maybe Charlie Puth is the superior uh, Vanilla King because he is not putting out his work for scrutiny. Jack Harlow's uh, new album "Come Home," the kids miss you, is adequate. I, I listen. It's the, it's literally the definition of I like the beat uh, uh-huh. because uh, listen, F- Pharrell is doing some crazy shit on this album. You know, like Justin Timberlake is on the album and uh you know what? I'm also coming out of um Justin Timberlake fan witness protection. I like I can't I can't right. I can't oh. do it anymore. I like Justin Timberlake. I'm sorry. I listen to Twenty I oh, wow. to Twenty Twenty constantly. I do. I felt like I really had to hate him because of what he did to Britney sorry. and to Janet, but um I like him.
0: Okay, the fans are now flipping through the hundreds of episodes we've done talking about our disdain for Justin Timberlake. So
3: this reversal is feeling a little haunted to you me. You know what? Maybe that's my real keep it. My real keep it is to having to hide the fact that I like Justin Timberlake's music.
0: I don't like you him. the man in the woods? And I wish, you would, I wish you would disappear into the
2: woods. That's where you belong now.
3: I don't like him that much. It can be very annoying. But the music baby. The albums are great. Two perfect albums. Two perfect albums. Wait, Future Sex Love Sounds? Future Sex Love Sounds and Justified.
0: Oh, Oh, early ones. Okay. Well, let me say something about Future Sex Love Sounds. What continues to bother me about that album is he was clearly copying the naming structure of Speaker Box the Love Below, but the deal with that album was it was two albums. So, him taking the slash is just senseless and contrived. Mm. All right,
3: next album. What's up now? Disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, like the getting getting back to Jack Harlow, I think an album was just specifically by a rapper to sort of tell you something about them. And I don't feel like I really learned anything about Jack Harlow on this album. It sort of feels mm. very blank like 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 anybody could have rapped this you know like i thought he he was so interesting as like a rapper who hopped on Lil Nas X's um industry baby song like i love to hear like what he thinks you know about you know um being thrust you know into like gay culture like that you know i mean he has a song called Dua Lipa on the album which you know is like has the line Dua Lipa trying to do more with her than get a feature you know which so you're attracted to Dua Lipa cool who isn't (laughs) what else is going on Um, yeah right yeah there are a couple songs I like but overall like it's sort of forgettable Um, and that's unfortunate because he was one of the like most exciting new rappers um, to sort of come out recently anyway getting back to the fact that um, we're now living in a post me um, admitting I love Justin Timberlake world
0: I know I, I, I feel shattered yeah, I, I think, well, it's going to be jail time for you. Me, I will continue <laughs> doing what I do, which is getting iced coffee.
3: That's our show this week. Uh, thank you to Sissy Spacek for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer.
0: Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nara Malconian, and Delan Villanueva for production support every
2: week.
3: When it comes to sense. You should pick ones that
4: smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com.